Welcome, dudes and dudettes, to the Danger Room, the X-Men comics, totally bopping, super cool podcast about those guys, the uncanny X-Men, you know? My name's Bamarius T. Dude, but you can call me Bar Dude. I can't remember what my name was. <laughs> Your Rick. name was Rick without the K, dude? Rick without the K. That's right. That's R-I-C. I don't know if I could do the voice anymore. Yeah, I, I thought I could, but man, mine was pretty bad. <laughs> well, I'm sure they were pretty bad back then as well. Uh, they were generic Beavis and Butthead. I think well, we were more mirroring uh, Bill and Ted. Yeah, you're right. You're totally right. I had a whole script written. We were less, <laughs> and more. Dude! Exactly. I had a whole script written where we were like dumb cops, but you didn't like the idea that we would be cops at all. Oh, you should have convinced me. <laughs> it would have been amazing. It would have been incredible. <laughs> I wrote six pages of that script, but it's it's long gone. <laughs> all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Rick without the K, dude. Dude. What are we doing? <laughs> well, I guess we're talking about... uh. Hey, this one's not uncanny. X-Men number 188, which was uh, had a cover date of December of 1984 and was on sale September 11th of 1984. And it's got a cover price of 60 cents. And it's titled Legacy of the Lost. Do you believe in magic in a young girl's heart? How the music can free her whenever it starts. And it's magic if the music is Why do you think they got rid of Uncanny X-Men? I have no idea. And I didn't even notice that until you just said that. I didn't notice that until just now either. Huh. Uh, here, what does the little bibliography note say? So on the bottom of the front page, it does say The Uncanny X-Men, Volume 1, Number 188, December 1984. So it was published under The Uncanny X-Men, but they were like, this cover is so action-packed that we don't even have time for The Uncanny. Maybe they just needed to raise it up some because of, of how much space the action takes up on the cover. They felt that to bump the word X-Men down from Uncanny would have been, well, that's just dumb. That would have just been behind the action. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I think Jim Shooter was so busy with his finishing up his Secret Wars run that he totally dropped the ball on this one. I don't know. But on the cover of this, you have a woman who, I don't know if you would know it from this drawing, but it's, it's Rachel. And uh, she has all of the X-Men kind of blasted out in front of her in a telepathic grasp you've got uh well actually everybody's grabbed by their head and their crotch which is kind of weird so you got storm rogue nightcrawler colossus uh and who who is below colossus that's got to be professor xavier yeah professor x yeah it's a bald dude it's got to be oh yeah 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 it's very strange how everybody is getting zapped in their head and their crotch area and that will not be explained as we read this comic book I'm sure they must have been going for like a belly, but I mean, like, like the blast is like maybe not centered on the crotch, but it's definitely, you know, there. It's pretty much. I mean, obviously the intention is not for it to be over the crotch, but it is consistently over everybody's crotch. <laughs> I would say that the middle of this circle is midway between your belly button and your crotchal region. So whatever that is, is what the the... the the epicenter of these little blasts are. So they're all of their junk hurts in addition to their head. 
Storm is bent over and it's still covering her crotch. And Storm is drawn to kind of look like vampire Storm, so it's kind of weird. But Yeah, well, I think it's because they're doing that uh, inking effect where the, the whites or the darks or whatever. Yeah, I'm with you. I got it. It just looks fangy. But yeah, yeah. She, she does look kind of toothy. All things considered, I mean, there's a like a blue blast surrounding everything. Uh, the X-Men are black and yellow, but then where they're being blasted, it's purple and white. Uh, it's a very, I don't want to say plain cover because there's a lot of action going on, but I kind of like this use of minimalistic colors. Uh, so I've always liked this cover. Well, let's put it to the litmus test. You're at your comic book rack. You see this. Do you buy it? Well, probably, yeah. But let's say you're not like an X-Men fan. You're, you're totally basing this on your cover. Yeah, well, I'm like, who is this bad red-headed girl? She must be some new supervillain who's totally able to take on these superhero X-Men dudes who I don't know who they are. But I assume <laughs> they're the X-Men because the title says the X-Men. And they're in the they're in the bubble. Yeah, true, true enough. So. I bet this guy in the upper left-hand corner or the guy beneath him will save the day because they're not on the cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy with the... The orange Actually, and black cowl. Neither is Kitty Pride. Three out of <laughs> three out of seven of the heads in the bubble are not featured in this issue. Yeah, the X Men ranks are thinning out. This is misleading. Uh, but if this was like on a T shirt, oh, who am I kidding? If this was on a T shirt this day and age, I would totally buy this. <laughs> but it's not iconic. It's it's not an iconic T shirt worthy. Although I don't know, it's more of a it's more of a it would be cool because it's not one of the iconic ones, right? People be like, what's that? And you'd be like, it's the X-Men. And they'd be like, really? And be like, yeah, I'm Rick. Rick without the K. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So when we last left our harrowing X-Men, they were fighting some, I don't know, goopy black shadow dudes, right? Yeah, man. Uh, and uh, yeah. So that's where our story picks uh, immediately up uh, at. It's Chris Claremont writing, John Romita Jr. and Dan Green Arting, Glennis Ween is the colorist, Tom Orzakowski is the letter, and Ascenti is the editor, and Heem Shuter, editor-in-chiefing. They're referred to in the caption as shadow beings. Yeah, and uh, this there's a shadow being that's got like eight mouths or... Maybe just maybe just five. No, it's got a lot of mouths. Like every portion of this creature is covered in mouths and eyes, which is a pretty cool design in my opinion. But it has in its clutches, it's got uh, Rogue, Colossus, Storm, and it's pushing Forge down. According to the caption, which I had to read to figure out what was going on, this shadow being or shadow beings are dragging the X-Men to their dimensional gateway, which leads back to their sorceress realm. I would have never figured that out. <laughs> no, it just kind of looks like they're crashing through a window. These guys are never really explained in this issue. Maybe they will be in the future. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't know about that, but we'll, we'll talk, I have some theories, but we'll talk about it as we go okay. through it. Um, yeah, so they're, they're like, what do we do? You know, and, uh, you know, Forge is saying, shoot my leg. Because that's where the shadow being has me. Uh, but try not to miss. And Storm's like, oh, you'll know it when I don't miss. Because I won't mean to miss. I'll mean to hit you. Because I remember, I don't like you. Because you're a liar. I feel like as the months go by, her hatred for Forge seems to grow. It's like Chris Claremont was like, you know, I think she really needs to hate him even more. I don't think we covered the hate enough last issue. Let's Let's turn up the hate a little bit. I don't feel like life death gave us enough reason for hate and so every issue he just kind of piles it on and by the time you get to this issue two months after life death you're probably like wow she sure does hate him which in reality is maybe six hours after the end of life death mm -hmm. but uh no the ending of life death 
death, excuse me, life death gives you the, me at least the impression that, uh, Forge is a distrustful guy. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And they, they ram that over the head too. But, but not, but, not necessarily worthy of hate. Just, you know, he's misled Storm. Uh, and that's, that's a reason to be mad, but maybe not. I'm okay with Storm hating him. Um, I just, I think it's kind of weird that she's going to kill him. <laughs> At some point, but not right now. <laughs> so she does. She shoots him in his leg, which detaches his uh, bionic leg. And so that allows him to escape from the shadow being. And he hops back into his Eagle Plaza building. I have to say this panel of him in the silhouette going down the stairs is kind of awesome. <laughs> it uh, it was not until this very last reading that I realized exactly what was going on. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty hilarious. He, he is hopping at top speed down some stairs. And as a matter of fact, it looks like he is hopping down three stairs at a time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this dude is in a hurry. He is an expert hopper. <laughs> well, got he, to, he's practiced this. If you have one leg, you've got to practice. Uh, he's hopping down there and he's yelling out for Najee. What have you done? Where are this you? There's no time for your idiot games. Where the devil are you? Oh, that's Cyclops. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Well, Forge drifts in and out. He's got a Cyclops compl- complex. So Najee is, in fact, in, uh, as it was called, a think in life death or maybe it was the last issue forges sanctum sanctorum and he's cast some sigils uh, and he's definitely conjuring something he says uh, hear me great one i come in humble uh, supplication aid my people in their hour of greatest peril in exchange we offer this world and all on it to do with as you will so that's it's a hell of a sacrifice right there so forge thinks that naze or naze is downstairs but he's actually upstairs uh, yeah, well, Eagle Plaza is a very confusing place. I mean, maybe Forge has to go down a few flights of stairs to get to the correct flight of stairs to go back up hmm. or something. He also thinks to himself that they are merging their substance with his friend's flesh and that he was able to escape uh, because of his metal prosthesis. Mm, could be. I don't know. So, so yeah, Najee, yeah, Sanctum, Sanctum Sanctorum. Totally. Selling out the earth. Yeah, for for what? I guess just to save his people. Uh, and I think maybe earlier when we met Forge for the first time, uh, maybe his people were being attacked by dire wraiths, maybe? Or something else is happening. I don't think so, but I don't know. Something Cause, is happening because he was cause like... When the dire wraiths showed up, it felt like For Forge was seeing them for the first time. Yeah, because, well, when Najee showed up in the issue prior to Storm losing her powers... He's like, you gotta come back, Forge. You gotta do the thing that you were born to do. And Forge was like, get out of here, old man. I don't do that anymore. And so it's kind of like Najee's come back to uh, do the thing that Forge wouldn't do, but I don't really know what or who he's doing it for. And I don't know that we ever find out. I gathered that this is some sort of mystical Indian uh, source of power for Forge. Yeah, totally. And that these people that Najee is communicating with are the Indian uh, spirits or great ones or whatever you want to call them. Maybe. I don't know. I feel like he's selling his soul to the devil and he knows it. Not the devil, but a devil. Because, you know, he's he's getting all the, he casts the sigils and protection spells and he's trying to conjure something. But basically what he conjures is a, a dire wraith. Is it? I don't know. Wow, I didn't get that. Well, so it, the, the dude comes out and he's like, mortal... 
fool, uh, you ask for what I do not give, an offer which I already possess. And then we see what I think is Najee turning into a dire wraith, or vice versa. So you think this is the dire wraith... Okay, maybe, maybe. Hmm. Okay, hold that thought. Okay, I mean we can we can come back to it, but uh, I don't know what's going on in this panel where you see Najee and you see kind of the elder form of Najee and you also see a dire wraith. Yeah, I guess I just assume that there's a transformation here. Let's see. He says your form is well known to me, uh, Najee Shaman of the Cheyenne. We have met and fought before, yet your soul I see is changed, is alien. No matter now, no matter now, both are mine. So maybe he was already possessed by an alien, but now he's been taken over by a dire wraith. And so he's like a dire wraith alien hybrid. I don't know what's going on. I thought this meant that he had been taken by a dire wraith this whole time. And from the moment he showed up and in the last issue to now, he was always a dire wraith. But I don't think that's true at all. Yeah. I thought it would have been a nice twist. I, I think. I don't know. I guess I'm putting my money on he when he ah, shit, I guess. Uh, shoot. I mean, shoot. I guess I don't know. This is very confusing because of this whole line about I see your soul has changed. It's alien. So maybe the thing that he was trying to fight have for it's like so maybe when we first met him, he was normal. Then he went back to the reservation or wherever he's from and tried to fight the evil himself, but ended up getting possessed, came back to Forge's place to to i don't know to unleash more alien stuff but that's when the dire wraith showed up and was like now i have everything don't know that would be a lot of stuff happening off panel and a lot of conclusions to jump to yeah i think you're right though i think this great older one is a dire wraith but i think when chris claremont writes that your soul is alien he doesn't mean from another planet he means just it's gotten detached somehow hmm. and maybe that this was a story that chris claremont was intending to tell i don't know well we'll keep reading and maybe we'll find out but i i don't think i don't think will. so <laughs> don't hold your horses folks nope uh anyways meanwhile at a snowed in airport so last episode i was saying where did this freak snow come from i was theorizing that maybe it had something to do with storms connection to weather that was still happening mm -hmm. but now we get the answer which is apparently over in thor um something called the casket of ancient winters is happening oh so it's it's a tie-in to thor well there you go that's neat uh, on this airplane is one airline stewardess who we know as Amanda Sefton. And uh, Nightcrawler teleports in and is like, you know, he doesn't say anything. He just grabs her and teleports off. This is the weirdest plane ever. You're telling me you got some people that are sitting in traditional air airline seats and then you've got some other people that are sitting at like a round table, but also in airline seats. Yeah. That must be like, like negative one class. <laughs> 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 like they're they're liter literally sitting uh in the cabin in front of the pilots it's so posh up there <laughs> but yeah it's very weird well they're 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 it's like a circle of friends it is like they're just chatting hanging out i think there's some coffee on the table but yet they're buckled into airline seats it's very strange <laughs> And so Nightcrawler teleports Amanda onto the Blackbird, which Nightcrawler is flying. So what I want to paint the picture here is that Nightcrawler found out about this storm, hopped aboard the Blackbird, 
flew over to the airport, teleported from the moving aircraft to the stationary aircraft, picked up Amanda Sefton, was able to calculate exactly where the plane would move to, and then teleported her and himself back into that airplane uh, without accidentally teleporting into the seat or the airplane wall or, more likely, into thin air. No, I think you're wrong about a couple things. Okay. Um, one, he put the pilot, he put the plane on autopilot. That's, so it was just, it was just sitting there. They can't wait. So it was just hovering. Yeah. It has vertical takeoff and, uh, all right, so let's say he put it on autopilot and it was moving at a slow pace forward. All righty. But and it's still, he, it's still moving then, at a slow and, pace forward. And, and okay, okay. when he grabs Amanda Sefton, we don't see this, but he bamps out into space, sees where the the blackbird is and then bamps back in. Okay. It's a couple of conclusions also to leap to, but all right, all right. Yeah, well, I, I the I have uh, the autopilot is mentioned later. That's the only reason I can say. Okay, that. fine. I buy the autopilot, but it, the plane is still moving, and there's still like a lot of mathematical calculations to be like, okay, wind is blowing from the west at thirty knots. Airplanes moving to the east at ten knots, or whatever. <laughs> uh, so I guess not only that, but uh, I would have to say that it is highly unlikely that Nightcrawler has ever seen the inside of Amanda Sefton's weirdo cabin. That's a good point. So he actually has to teleport into this airplane uh, and know exactly where he's teleporting to. I don't know. I feel like they're taking some liberties with Nightcrawler's powers. All I'm trying to get at here. Anyways, uh, so he uh, can also fly an airplane, Adam. Yeah, he's he does everything. He's the doctor when need be. Although lately the X-Men haven't really needed a doctor because they have the healer. So Nightcrawler was like, ah, I guess I'll learn to fly, fly the plane. I like how eventually uh, like all of the X-Men learn how to fly the Blackbird. Why wouldn't they? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just feel like, uh, of course, they've got the time, they've got the plane, and it's good training for missions and whatnot. But I feel like some people would take to it more so than other people. Uh, and I mean, you have to dedicate, you know, hundreds of hours to, to learn how to fly an airplane, let alone a, an SR-71 Blackbird. I've never seen Colossus fly the plane. Okay, I'll give you that. I guess I don't think I've ever seen him fly the plane either. But Wolverine knows how to fly it. Cyclops, of course, knows how to fly it. Professor X Storm either. She's like, I don't need to fly your stupid plane. <laughs> I fly on my... Oh, wait, I don't fly anymore. <laughs> Will somebody teach me to fly the plane? <laughs> Anyways... Uh, Nightcrawler's like, hey, looks like you were trapped, so we got a mission and I need your help. And so they take How off. am I going to explain a stunt like that, you crazy? Put me back! <laughs> I can't. <laughs> the X-Men have desperate need of your unique talents. I'll explain en route. I'm not dropping you back off. Deal. You're a witch. So meanwhile, while all of that was happening, or maybe, I don't know, synchronously... The Shadow Beast still has Rogue Colossus and Storm in its clutches. Uh, it's multiplied into more mouths and eyes, or maybe it's just anamorphic and it's just, you know, metamorphing all over the place. But it, it doesn't matter because Amanda Sefton's like, there they are, save them, Amanda! And so she jumps out, she turns, she either put on her witch costume or it appeared on her but she starts casting spells like crazy. Okay, there's a caption here. It says, After programming the X-Men specially modified SR-71 Blackbird aircraft to hover safely above Eagle Plaza. So it does have a hover setting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but an airplane doesn't hover. This one does. <laughs> Fine. So I guess what we're saying is that Nightcrawler 
had the airplane hover over Amanda Sefton's crazy airplane. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine how much yep. fuel it would take to have that thing just hovering? <laughs> oh, God. All right. I guess it's comics. It's, it's, got, or, uh, Professor X has deep, deep pockets. It's not real life. It's just comics. It's not real life. So uh, Amanda Cass. You're coming in choppy. Like you're all garbly. Okay. How about now? Yeah, you're still garbly. My connection. Am I garbly? Not at all. Hmm. Should we just wait it out? It says the connection speed is slow. That's probably what it is. Are you, what are you downloading? I'm not downloading anything. Let me verify that. <laughs> I'm not downloading anything. I'm not downloading anything. One of us is lying. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe just my, my internet sucks. I should switch over from Verizon to Time Warner. I really don't want to, though. You've got to invest. In what? I don't know. Better internet? I could probably spend a couple of bucks to like increase my cable system but i don't think that actually like i have my doubts about whether or not that actually works because they have the different tiers yeah and instead of paying 40 dollars a month for their lowest tier data plan i could play pay 50 dollars or 60 dollars and get their highest tier i'm like really why, why do i just feel like this isn't going to be any faster it'll be faster they put caps on you when you're at uh the lower lower dollar amounts really i'm gonna hang up on you i got you're coming in good now oh then i guess i won't hang up on you yeah it's um i just got a text message maybe that's why (laughs) (laughs) that's that's, that'd be pretty bad if that's what it was oh my internet's been a pain in the ass lately all right you ready yep all right so amanda casts some spell and uh, immediately the shadow beasts uh kind of separate and they drop the captive x-men is have we seen this outfit before of amanda's I like it. It's kind of cool. I guess I don't know. I'm not surprised to see it, but I guess I couldn't point to an issue where we have seen it. I like this kind of shield blast that she has. And on the next page, we get to see that Saturday's The Place, starting September 15th on CBS. Richard Pryor celebrating all of the cartoons of Saturday morning. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. Holy crap. You know, it has been years I've been trying to find it, and I guess I guess they finally did release it on DVD. I just have to... Yeah, my a friend of mine has it. The coolest thing about Dungeons and Dragons is, um, spoilers, they actually get home in the end. What? Oh, I wish you wouldn't have spoiled that for me, because <laughs> I didn't know it's, that. It's not one of those series where they just go on indefinitely and then they never finish it. I I, I have fond memories of watching that show. Now, whether or not it's uh, I'm blinded by nostalgia or if it actually was a good show, uh, I guess I'd like to find that out. It's probably a combo. But what I don't remember ever seeing us i guess there was a pole position tv series which i have to imagine was the video game pole position uh and i'm yeah, wondering was so. it was it like just you know a race every saturday is that that yeah. would be really boring it looks like a truck hey we should get pole position this week well we've we've didn't finish in the right place so we're gonna be four cars back saturday supercade features cubert space ace kangaroo and donkey kong who's kangaroo uh, I don't know, but I, I definitely remember seeing Qbert and Donkey Kong. I, I remember Space Ace. I don't really remember Space Ace, and I definitely don't remember Kangaroo. And yeah, I don't know Kangaroo. Space Ace was by that Dom Bluth guy, I think. I think it was Dom Bluth. But remember, um, they had that arcade game that you would play that had the really good graphics, but you would have to make the right move. Like, you'd go into a room. It's like Dungeons Quest or something like that. Dragon's Lair. Yeah, Dragon's Lair. 
And it wasn't really good graphics. It was just animation. It was a laser disc. Right, exactly. But uh, there was Space Ace also had, um, using the same system. Exactly. The exact same game where you'd run and then, well, you wouldn't run. The game would run and you'd have to push up, down, or a button to... You'd have to do the right sequence of things in order to make it to the next animation. Yeah, that's... It was pretty lame. It was mind-blowing at the time because... Oh, yeah, the the graphics were like, holy cow, that's so cool. It would be sitting right next to the Pac-Man machine, and you'd be like, whoa. And then you'd watch... I never... I I don't think I ever played it, or if I... Because it was 50 cents, uh, and if I ever did play it, it would be me just immediately losing, because I'd be like, I don't don't understand what's going on here. But you'd see people... I would at least see people put their money in there, and they'd usually be able to get pretty far, but I guess now that I'm older, I just realized that they must have memorized the patterns. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's all you could do. Yeah. So that money, that game must have made a, like a ton because there's no skill. It's just, okay, you have to push up here, left there, button here, down here. But people were willing to pay that money because it, it was basically like the invention of uh, uh, game sequences where you're just playing to see the next sequence. Oh, yeah, sure. Cutscenes. Absolutely. Did you know that they released Dragon's Lair um, on DVD and it's basically just the game on a DVD? No. You, you use your remote control. <laughs> that's, well, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> I mean, that's all That's all you would need to use. Yeah. That's, that's funny. pretty much it. All right. So, uh Colossus thinks to himself, not even the brood were so foul and evil. I am weak, and the, but the Roro and Rogue look far worse. I must see to them. And as he goes to help Rogue, she tries to warn him to get away, but uh, it looks like a diorath must have touched her, or she must have touched a diorath. But she turns into a diorath. Yeah, I didn't see. I didn't think that these shadow beings were connected to the diorath, so this confused me as well. Um, well, but Colossus does say by the white wolf, which I believe is the first time he's ever said it. It's it's certainly the first time he has said it beyond issue 185. <laughs> uh, Might be the first time he said it to Rogue. It's, it, I would take that bet. I, I think you're right. Um, it, it's possible. Remember that last issue, uh, one of the issues she got in contact with the diorath and, and her thoughts were evil and unpure. And the professor is like, Remember, he was freaking out because it was a combination of Rogue's thoughts and a Diorath's thought. So maybe maybe the Diorath has finally manifested itself. Just the comic hasn't told us. Okay. I don't know. But anyways, she's a I di- would be willing to buy into that logic. She uh, has... She's a Diorath. And uh, Colossus is holding her at bay by the throat, which... Let me ask you this, Adam. If, if it's Rogue, and it is, uh, and she's absorbed the the powers and uh, personality of a uh, diorath and Colossus is using his skin to touch the diorath's skin. Shouldn't it absorb Colossus's power so that he would be just a armored diorath? That's what I thought too. But then the dialogue kind of explains it as rogues does rogues power does not get through Colossus's armored skin. He says, uh, that barbed tongue can penetrate my armored flesh. So he, he, repeats he he kind of points to only if the thing penetrates his armored flesh will she be able to steal his thoughts and memories and features and stuff hmm. 
I thought that that was just like uh, a dire wraith's barbed little thing could penetrate his forehead. I didn't think it had anything to do with Rogue. Well, it's confusing because he then says, if Rogue stag- stabs it into my brain. So he's still referring to this dire wraith as Rogue. I don't know. It's, hmm. it's confusing. It's very confusing. Should, we should skip all of the details of okay. this and just kind of go into the uh, the action of the story because there's so much confusion we're, we'll just, we'll never make it through this story. Good point. We're only on page six. Or we're like 30 <laughs> minutes into this podcast. Uh, yeah. All right. So fine. Uh, Ileana shows up because the professor said, hey, maybe these people could use some help. Uh, and so sure enough, she yanks out her soul sword. And, and as she does so, a little bit more armor appears. And she even comments. She's like, every time I pull this sword out, more armor appears. What am I going to do? What happens when the suit's complete? Oh, I don't care. I'm just going to kill all these things. And she does. She slices rogue up, um, which appears to destroy the dire wraith, but leave Rogue okay. She does the same thing to Storm, too. I mean, there's a, uh, 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 a dire, well, the black stuff. What's the black stuff? The, the shadow being. Yeah, there's a shadow being surrounding Rogue. I'm sorry, Storm. And uh, Ilyana slices through Storm, I guess using not like a physical blade, but a psychic blade or something like that. Cuts away. The... But she, yeah, no, I guess it makes sense because, like, the soul sword doesn't really cut anything that isn't magic. So it's it's maybe leaving Rogue and Storm uh, okay, but cutting the stuff around them. Yeah, no, no I'm, that, that works. I'm all good with that. Try really good. And and the other thing that I kind of like about um, Ileana's appearance here is it's like. The professor got her out of study hall and said, I need you to help the X-Men because she's not wearing a costume. She doesn't even have shoes on. She's got jeans and a white t-shirt. There are no th- oh, there are no time for shoes. <laughs> it's just like she's not wearing her new mutants outfit, I guess, is maybe what I'm getting at. It's just, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a nice touch. But anyways, uh, Colossus is, I guess, uh, checking on Rogue's vitals. And Storm says, do not touch her, Peter. Put gloves on for so the slightest touch will transfer her powers or your powers to her. I forgot. <laughs> Aurora, I'll be careful. I'm not so good with memories. <laughs> I forgot that the primary power of hers is to absorb one's abilities. Tell me. <laughs> to transfer my powers over to her. What? What is Wolverine's primary powers? <laughs> I forget. Isn't he the one that teleports? What does Cyclops, what is he always brooding about? (laughs) (laughs) Why is he always talking about his deadly feet? I, I'm not good. Uh, So, yeah. Amanda, still here, attempts to seal the shadow gate. The shadow gate, again, is a thing that, like, I feel like we're supposed to know what it is, but I don't really. I have no idea what the shadow gate is. But apparently it doesn't work because there's a big roar and somebody says so much for that idea. Although from this panel, I would have no idea. I'm guessing it's Amanda, but I, I, I'm just guessing. If she didn't say so much for that idea, I would have, I would have, I, for all I know, the shadow gate was closed. Yeah, yeah. But it's not. There's like a big net and there's like some, some of those black things. I think she's casting the net from her fingers. Yep, totally. And the the... She calls it an energy web. My energy web isn't holding it back. And then Ileana does this crazy 20-foot leap into the air, says, let me. 
me try in an action-packed sword swing, uh, which apparently fails and knocks her back against the far wall. I really like this. I mean, it's a, it's a very short sequence, but it's like it's a really cool action pose, and then it completely doesn't work. I love the shot of Eliana with her sword heading towards the net. Uh, I like yes. both of them, though. Yeah, I like the whammo, too. She just flies back. Whammo! Yep. Uh, so Amanda's like, uh, get out of here. Um, I'll try hard, but I don't know. Uh, she surmises that somebody else is countering her spells, and Aurora guesses that it's another witch, which, uh... Hugh Forge, he has gotten his leg back. He put a new one on. So he he ran looking around for Najee. Maybe found him, maybe didn't find him, but definitely found a leg. Uh, but now he came back, right? Yes. Uh, and that's when Storm tells Nightcrawler to teleport up to the roof. Um, and uh, Forge, that yeah, so Forge shows up and says, I'm going with you. And so they do. Well, And it is revealed that the... Um, well, hang on a second. Nightcrawler says, if you insist, he'll forge, but I warn you. Now, how does he know he's forge? Uh, he read the files. <laughs> These two haven't met before. <laughs> the professor doesn't even know, like, I mean, he knows where Storm is, but he doesn't know who he's with. Or yeah, who but he's with. A, he, everybody knows that Forge lives at Eagle Plaza. Oh, it's like you're going to Eagle Plaza. You're probably going to run into Forge. He looks like this. has got a mustache. He's got, got a, a bionic, bionic leg, leg, Jeremy. You, you can't miss him. Okay, Professor. Oh, hey, Herr Forge. <laughs> Just want to point that out. Like, I don't know. I would have liked to have been like, and you are Forge. Okay, let's go. Boom. Everybody knows everybody's name. Okay. Anyway, you were going to say? Uh, so last issue, Storm fought a wraith on the roof and she locked it out and she thought it died. But that's uh, apparently the witch that they're talking about who was counteracting um Amanda Sefton's powers. This feels like such a hack, too, because in the issue, was it Life, Death, or was it the last issue? I think it was the last issue. It was the last issue. She made a huge deal out of, I have taken a life because it's out there going knock, 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 quieter and quieter and quieter until silence. I well, hey, now she doesn't have to worry about that. Well, yeah. I just feel like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't like that. And then Storm shoots it in the head. Not Storm, Forge. Or uh, Forge, yeah. <laughs> a big difference. Yeah. We have laid claim to your world and we will not be denied. Be denied. Forge, what are you going to do? Forge's gun sounds like this, I imagine. Pew, pew. Don't ask foolish questions, X-Men. Pew. And now the, the dire wraith is dead. And as the dire wraith dies, I guess the net holds, the, the de black things are gone. Everything's fine. Issue's over. Um, Forge is coming, coming, they, they bamf back and Forge says, Tsha! <laughs> what's that about? I don't know. That's his catchphrase. He's not saying, Hokeki! Hokeki! Tsha! In my language, that means action packed. Uh, yeah, so I mean, the biggest thing about this whole sequence here is that Ileana's like, hey, Colossus, big brother, you saw what I could do. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? And Colossus is like, well, some things happen to you, but I still love you. And she kind of gives... Whatever you were, whatever you are, you will remain forever, my sister. I'll be right there waiting for you. Uh... And so she's like, yeah, I was, uh, I was his, I was the demon lord's captive, uh, and then I was also his apprentice. And Colossus is like, yeah, no big deal. I fell in love okay. with an alien on a battle world. <laughs> 
things happen. <laughs> <laughs> a little snowflake. Uh, that's cool. You're lovelier and stuff, and you're beautiful. So moving on. Forge. Uh, so so Forge runs up to his sanctum sanctorum, where it would appear that he has known that Najee was there the whole time. So I guess he went down for a spare leg. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Even though he was kind of yelling, uh, well, maybe he was just like talking to himself like, Ah, oh, Najee, what have you done, you, you old fool? Oh, as soon as I get my leg, there's going to be trouble. Got to make my way down to the leg room. Why don't I have multiple? I should have a leg closet on every floor. <laughs> and he gets there and he's like, ah, I should have guessed. What did you try to do, old man? Did you try to summon the great spirit himself again? You know that doesn't work. Why did I ever build this sanctorum or sanctum in the first place? Didn't I learn my lesson in Nam? No more magic ever. That's not the lesson I learned from Nam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Forge was at a different part of Nam than than you were, Adam. <laughs> uh, so Storm enters. She's got a gun and she's like, how's Naze? Well, I wish he's okay, but I'm pretty mad at you. So maybe I'll shoot you. How, pray, tell, oh, master of lies, will you stop me? Aurora, please. Do not follow, Forge. Do not try to find us. Suggest to your federal associates that they do the same. Cheer up, warrior. Our story is far from ended. We shall meet again. And then? You may well wish we had not. And Forge, who was totally upright, standing on his legs and and, and what not, is uh, crumpled over into a pile of sad man. Those words hurt, Jeremy. <laughs> the words have meaning. Yeah, and, and he's crying. So there you no. go. That, I mean, spoilers, we're not even halfway through the X-Men comic book, and that little story is over. Hey, we still don't even know what happened on the cover. That's that's true. Well, why don't we just cut it short? We'll cover it next week. Okay. No. Uh, meanwhile, at uh, some coordinates in the ocean, uh, they're in the Bermuda, near the Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle, when... Oh, they're in the heart of the, of the Bermuda Triangle. Oh, yeah, yeah. When uh, two sailors or two two fisher people, it's a man and a woman, they see a man in the water. and they Why, It's Paolo and Lee Forrester, Jeremy. We know these fellows. Well, yes. We only hear Elise call out to Paolo. We, we don't find out, like, avid readers wouldn't know this is Lee until a little bit later. So thanks for spoiling that, Adam. He says it in the next panel. Couple of hundred yards, Lee. See him? <laughs> oh, well, he doesn't say Elides. It could be any Lee. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's Paolo and Lee Forrester. Lee pulls out some binoculars, and sure enough, there is a man, which we can barely see, but there's also a shark fin. And Yeah, so, and not only that, in a few panels down, the shark starts eating the man. You can see his hand coming out of the shark's mouth. Elides, she grabs out a gun. She shoots at the shark. She... Uh, misses three times, but then hits on the fourth. And yeah, definitely, this shark has got this man in its mouth. Uh, Paulo's like, oh, what's the point? That guy's gone. And the boat can't get out to him because they're uh, they're stuck where they are because they're fishing. So Alides Forrester, who now we reveal her full name, uh, she jumps off the boat and she goes to rescue the man. She doesn't, she doesn't care. Not She's crazy. She spent a lot of time with Cyclops, so she's got that ad adventure uh, in her blood. Uh, she swims out to the guy. Uh, the guy, i got to be honest, he's got, he's got white hair, he's got some red in his uh, outfit and some purple. Looks kind of familiar, but uh, she doesn't recognize him right away. 
Uh, she grabs him. She starts swimming back to the boat, but the shark comes back around for a, a second taste, I guess. But Lee, as tough as she is, she just kicks that shark on the snout. Beat it, Buster. Try something else for lunch. Boot. So and it works. They pull the man up and Lee up and they get on and they're like, get the medical kit. And Paolo's like, that guy's got a crazy metal suit. It made a chain mail. It saved his life. And the dude looks up. Well, it's Magneto. He looks up and he says, <laughs> then I am in its debt. And I see. Uh, then I am uh, in its debt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, and I see yours as well, Captain Forrester. Lee, you know this fella? Or wait, Lee, you know this fella? Magneto! Magneto! So are we to believe that Magneto fell from Asteroid M? Yes. Okay. Remember when you're like, I don't think this ever gets resolved. I'm like, I'm almost positive it does. I just never knew that Asteroid M piece because I'd never read that New Mutants. But I've read this issue many a times. I just never knew how he ended up in the water. So post-Secret Wars, um, which, by the way, is on issue eight now. Yeah. Um, Magneto goes apparently to Asteroid M, whether he gets beamed there directly or maybe he takes a plane, who knows. And then immediately will their uh, warlock destroys Asteroid M, causing him to fall to the Earth. It's a bad week to be Magneto. Apparently. Uh, I think all of these events will maybe make him rethink his life. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. And we get some more Saturday morning activity. We got Snorks. Pink Panther and Sons, Smurfs, Elvin and the Chipmunks, Kid Video. Kid Video! This is the show. This is the show that I, because I've always been trying to remember what this show is, because it had cats, and they were, it was like Dungeons and Dragons, but in a world of music. Okay. And now, now I know what it is. It was Kid Video. I would have never guessed that. Thank God for old comic book advertisements. Kid Video will take you to the flip side of the universe where the Master Blaster is waging a battle to rule the entire rock and roll world. And there are some cats and there's a keyboard cat. There's like a hippie kid in the foreground. Is that Kid Video? I must be. All I remember is the cats. And I always wondered what the heck this show was. So then there's Mr. T going bananas and Spider-Man. I got to be honest, other than Spider-Man, and I, I don't know anything about your kid video, but this is NBC's lineup, and the lineup that we talked about earlier, so I think it was CBS, is way better. This this is this is terrible. Well, like any kid, you would be jumping back and forth constantly. Uh, I, I wouldn't watch, like I'd watch Snorks if like, A, Snorks was probably on at 6 a.m., and I didn't get up at 6 a.m. I was more of like a 7.30 riser. So I guess I would have been catching Smurfs and been like, eh, forget. And Smurfs that I'd been channel flipping. Alvin yeah, and the Chipmunks yeah. I would have moderately tolerated. I never saw this kid video, so I was either done watching cartoons by this point or there was something else on. Mr. T, I remember a little bit, and I never watched Spider-Man and his amazing friends, so I must uh, have also been watching something else during that. What about Going Bananas? That is also... That looks like a classic show. <laughs> live action. You've got, you've got, well, it looks like you've got a cartoon kid, three humans, and a gorilla. Well, I think the cartoon kid is part of this ad. Oh, okay, okay. So it's just totally live action. I bet you yeah. that show didn't last long. Because see, see how this kid... Okay, so maybe the kid in the kid video isn't even part of the show. Oh, maybe this is just like... Kid, yeah, you're right, because if you look at Pink Panther and Sons, there's more kids, and same thing with Snorks. So yeah, I think these are all has the, a different costume in all of these, it's, but he's in all of them. He's wearing Mr. T's outfit. It's the one kid at the very beginning watching Saturday morning, and he's imagining himself in all of the shows. There is a dog with a mohawk in Mr. T. Of course there is, Adam. <laughs> that's, that's Mr. D. 
I got to see if I can find some kid video stuff going on YouTube after this. <laughs> Let's wrap this one up. Oh, anyways. Uh, yeah. So back at the mansion, uh, Storm goes for a swim as she does. Nightcrawler comes out, dries her off with a towel. She's like, hey, we got to go have a meeting. And Storm's like, I'm not an X-Man. I don't have any powers. What do you need me there for? Nightcrawler's like, I don't know. This is pretty serious. I'd like you to be there for me. So will you come to this meeting? I'm... Having some serious considerations, and I'd really need you to be there. So, she agrees. Uh, So, I guess it's a little later on. uh, Rachel and the new mutants gather on the stairs to kind of listen in to whatever's going on with the It's Roberto and uh, Ileana and Rachel. Not everybody. Okay, it's a couple of new mutants. It's it's two. (laughs) So, yeah, it's a a couple. And uh, the professor comes out and he's like, well, wait, we're missing a crucial thing here. Uh, uh, Rachel's mentions that the X-Men called Wolverine in Japan, but he refused oh. to come home. Something's up. Kitty's over there, too, uh, but he won't tell what he won't tell what happened. And he insisted he'd handle it himself. See the Kitty Wolverine minis- miniseries on sale now. Hmm. When are we going to cover that, Adam? Next episode. Oh, my God. I've not read Kitty Pride and Wolverine. Me neither. I take it back. I read issue two, but uh, we'll talk about that next week. Anyways, um, so then the professor comes out and is like, go to bed, children. These, I'll talk to you all about this tomorrow. So Ileana and Roberto go to bed, but Rachel stays because she's she can uh, protect her thoughts from his size scans. Um, so I guess even though the professor can't read Ileana's mind, he can still get gather her presence. Yeah, he can sense her presence. I, I buy that. But Rachel can protect her presence from the professor. So she hangs out and she continues to eavesdrop. And that's when Nightcrawler's like, It wasn't a supervillain that maimed, uh, maimed Storm helped Professor, but the United States government. It was a tragic accident, Nightcrawler, nothing more. But this Mutant Affairs Act used to be silly, but now it's uh, got a better chance of being enacted in law. This is crazy. It's bad time to be an X-Man. I hoped joining the X-Men would make a difference, that things would get better for mutant kind and Instead, they've gotten worse. We're still hated. So I find myself asking why. What's the point? Would you rather follow Magneto's way by conquering the world and enslaving humanity? To which I say, way to be a dick, Professor. Well, no, it doesn't have to be like the total opposite end of this. He's talking like a politician. Yeah, he's talking to Nightcrawler. Right. It's like, okay, obviously Nightcrawler doesn't want to enslave humanity. Stop being a jerk. Yeah, and so the, the Nightcrawler gives the correct answer, and he says, In truth, I'd rather not be bothered at all. There is a third option, you <laughs> jerk. Uh, and think of everything that's happened. Uh, look at everybody that's around here. Banshee was hurt. Storms maimed. Thunderbird killed. Jean Grey killed. When will it end? And uh, Rachel's still listening in. Here's Jean Grey dead. And she freaks out. There's a giant no panel and everybody grabs their ears and she's psychically uh bolting, cyblast into everybody's head. Nightcrawler especially. And he falls off the mantle where he was standing and he goes, Argh! and she's having a berserker's strength and mainly attacking Nightcrawler. Yeah, the professor's like, uh, wow, Rachel's projecting cybolts as formidable as my own. Rachel, 
going berserker. Stop this. Get a hold of yourself. You're killing Nightcrawler. Rachel's like, no, it has to be a lie. I spoke to my dad. I heard mom's voice. She's alive. This was the cover, by the way. Yeah, except she's only attacking Nightcrawler. Well, then, you know. But whatever, you know. I mean, everybody falls because they all get hurt in the initial blast, but... Colossus comes up and he's like, Cut! Alive, man, friend. I just want to lie here for a while uh, and get used to it. Uh, referring to the pain. I thought that line was funny. It was. Rachel? <laughs> it's impossible, Aurora Jean. Uh, Jean Grey can't be dead. Why not, child? She's my mom! That's true. That would be a major conundrum. I'm sorry, Nightcrawler. I never hurt you. Uh, even in the future, you read me bedtime stories and I loved you a lot. Didn't mean to do that. Even took me to the circus one time. Oh, really? And this is when Rachel kind of gives a telling of a day in future's past. Which, honestly, if I'm, you know, thinking about maybe the X-Men shouldn't be together and then seeing all this stuff that she... Uh, shows the x-men which is nightcrawler and amanda get shot to death well with iliana get shot to death while waiting for a school bus um the mansion gets blown up we see that scene from new mutants again i'd be like uh yeah i think i don't really want to be an x-men anymore <laughs> yeah this is the future we get to look forward to or at the very least i'd be like what <laughs> yeah yeah we get the the whole nine yards here we even get some scenes from days uh of future past with uh i think storm getting getting the spike through her her chest and she concludes the story saying finally it was just me all by myself so i decided to time shift myself physically and not psychically like i did with kitty uh, and here i am but it looks like i might be in the wrong past rogue she has a moment where she's like i wasn't mentioned in that future what's this mean <laughs> i wasn't in those issues yet and the horror, uh, all of it was Mystique's fault. My foster mother, who was the mutant who murdered Kelly. And Nightcrawler does say, with respect, Rachel, you've proved my case. What do I owe a world that is willing, eager to slaughter me and everyone I love simply because we exist? So, And the professor here, he's like, my hopes, my dreams. Thank heaven in Rachel's future, I did not live to see them turn to ashes. So he's... You know, hey, things happens. I was the first to die, so I didn't have to witness everything I worked for dying around me. Classis is selfishly thinking about how he and Katya were married in the uh, alternate reality, and he's like, well, but what of Jaji? <laughs> is this what I want? Is there still hope for us? Uh, so then Rachel's like, look, if you turn away from this dream, you'll do more damage than you know, even though you stuck with the dream in my timeline and it didn't really turn out so well. <laughs> so the alternative, you know, it could be worse, but how much worse? Uh, but yeah, you should, you should stick with it. You know, if you give up now, uh, you know. The X-Men stood for something better. They never lost hope, no matter what. Because of them, Professor Xavier's dream of a world where normal and mutant could live in peace and fellowship, where there wouldn't be any distinction between them, we'd all just be human, never died. So and the dream never died, even though... They all died. Even though everybody else did. I guess once everybody who's dreaming dies, I suppose the dream does die. That's when the dream is dead. Storm says, what is that classic saying you're so fond of quoting, Kurt? With great power comes great responsibility. And Nightcrawler says, yeah, I say it all the time. That's my line. I got that from Ben Parker. <laughs> I was, I was, uh, well, what was he doing? I was, I was walking to the library. I could have saved his life, but I didn't. 
I overheard him tell it to his uh, nephew. Yeah. It was pretty cool. So I, I kept it. I think that guy's Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now that I think about it. All right, so he says, well, Professor, for the dream. Thank you, my son, with all my heart. The X-Men are staying together, everybody. Whew, I was scared. Yeah. Colossus is huge in this panel. Epilogue, right? Like some fishing area where there's a, some fish. Some guy named Jamie, who I guess is in charge here, has a red hat. He's like the foreman or something like that. And they're all carrying boxes of snappers. Uh, and Crates of fish. We got some snapper. We got some carp. You don't we got eat some carp. Who eats carp? I don't know. Somebody. That's weird. Maybe it's not for eating. Maybe it's for uh, looking at. <laughs> it could be. Although I guess I've heard that maybe you can smoke carp, but snapper, that's a, that's a definitely a good fish to go with. Like, a, you know, you're assuming that these are being sold to restaurants, but I can't think of anywhere that would serve carp. But anyways, anyway, uh, so Jamie here is mysteriously um, pulled to a fish. He's like, ah, something weird about that fish. I don't know why. It doesn't look anything different than the other fish. But when I cut it open, I, whoa, look at this crazy necklace. Jamie Rodriguez, you just hit the jackpot. And the necklace says, hearken, oh man, I am power. Don me, obey me, and the world is yours. So this is a storyline that we, you'll have to help me with. We're going to have to follow it uh, very closely because I get really confused with Jamie Rodriguez and this necklace. Okay. <laughs> and it's, it's bothered me for, for years. And I'm hoping that through this podcast, I can untangle some of my confusion. It all started because somebody dropped a crate of fish. Yeah, well, somebody probably willed that box of fish to be dropped, don't you think? Ooh. Like, like maybe the necklace, but I don't know. See, that's part of my confusion. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, do tell. So there you go. Uh, X-Men number 188. Uh, honestly, um, g- good issue. I really like this issue. Uh, on one hand, I really like the fact that they kind of put two stories in one. Uh, but on the other hand, it kind of feels like like Chris Claremont got to the next month and he's like, God, I really don't want to do anything more with Dire Wraith. So let's just let's just whack this thing off. Six or seven pages of action done. We're out. We'll do something else. Bring Magneto back into the fold. Do this thing with Rachel and get set up for the next storyline. Is that not what it feels like to you? Um, I wouldn't say that it was so. Um blatant but no i mean yeah you could definitely see it that way i feel like the end of last issue is like here come the 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 black things here come the death things nothing's ever going to be the same it was weird (laughs) i i like yeah this was kind of confusing i part of me wonders if john ramita jr had a lot to do with it and chris claremont just kind of tied it all together but a lot of it was very like I don't know. Chris Claremont really likes to delve into the whole mystical stuff. And that really didn't a lot of it. It it just didn't make a whole lot of sense. I thought it was a good issue, too. But as as a as a sequence of actions, less so as something that made sense, it didn't really need all of that stuff that was added to it. But again, you know, are we I got to ask, are we are we still suffering the the secret wars kind of we're we're eight issues into secret wars. I don't think we can be suffering from secret wars. Secret Wars two is around the corner. I know, but it just feels like over the last eight issues, like we've got we've made some progress, but it hasn't been like, I don't know, it hasn't been like like a new storyline hasn't been formed. Like we get we got like carrots dangling. I mean, Storm lost her powers. That's huge. You know, you mentioned that. Uh, But but yeah, nothing like, you know, I don't know, like a main uh, 
I don't I, know. You know, he's he's still putting down the pieces. He's he's got a, a bunch of balls that he's juggling. He's got. You know, Celine and Rachel and... And I'm not complaining. I mean, maybe this is a good thing. Like, maybe having all of this time, this basically year of Secret Wars, to to not really be able to do, like, a full-on story, because they, they probably have Secret Wars plotted out, but they don't have, like, all the finer things figured out. So he probably can't do too much, but he Again, can do whatever I don't think he... that's true, though, because he's already in the future of Secret Wars. I know, so but it's, I mean, it's Secret, not like there's four more issues of Secret Wars to come out yet. Yeah, but it, he's already been told like this is where we end Secret Wars and moving forward, don't I, worry yeah, about I it. I get it, but I mean, there's there's detail that you know, Chris. I don't know. He maybe he doesn't want to write that detail into the current run of X Men because you never know what's going to happen in crazy old Jim Shooter's Secret Wars. Even though like the major branches, right? Uh, you know. I I disagree, but you know I think this is just Chris Claremont being laying a lot of plots. All right. Well, let me conclude by saying, like, I think it might be a good thing that we've got all this time to create all of these plot points and carrots, dangle them out so that we can do a whole bunch of uh, uh, stories coming up. So again, I'm not complaining. This is this this is a good issue. But it sounds just, like you're complaining. I just feel like the whole first half of the comic book was. I feel like at the end of last issue, there was a storyline a Bruin, or at least a full issue a Bruin. Uh, but then once they got to the writing desk, they're like, "Let's just wrap this thing up and move on to something else." <laughs> Maybe. So anyhow, what do you guys think out there in in podcast land? You can let us know uh, if the last, I guess, eight issues of X Men have felt filler, have felt the Secret Wars burn, or no, it's just 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 storytelling we can be reached over at uh, www.xmenpodcast.com where all of the episodes are and links to all of our various resources uh, facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast uh, uh, you could follow us at danger room go and email us danger room at redcapproductions.com we're available on stitcher for your streaming radio needs you can go over to itunes go into the store there type in danger room into the podcast section where the first thing that pops up you could subscribe there, leave us a five-star review, what have you. And you can also call us at 501-GET-X-MEN, which is 501-438-9636. everybody. Yeah, that's X-Men in phone speak. Adam, did you read anything this week? I sure did. Good heavens. Holy moly. Settle in, everybody. This is the long one. Um, Alpha Flight number 17. We actually covered this before. This was the issue where we saw uh, that uh, first time the Guardian met the X-Men and was trying to get Wolverine back. But we saw it from uh, his point of view this time. Okay. Remember when we covered this? I do. During that self-same issue? Well, I've had it on my iPad for months and I'm like, why is this still here? Then I open (laughs) it and I'm like, I've read this. So Alpha, like at this point, uh, James Hudson is dead and Heather's in the hospital with Logan. She's recuperating and Heather and Logan are reminiscing about how how Wolverine originally left uh, Department H, cut that guy's tie up. Um, He recaps his time at the X-Men for her up to that encounter. uh, And then Puck shows up and they kind of pat each other on the back and say, you know, we've seen enough of the that we've seen enough of the same action just from different sides sometimes and sure would be nice to talk to you. Uh, this is where I guess where Wolverine stops in to say hello to Heather before he goes to Japan. We'll oh. find out more about that next issue and Puck, next episode. Puck's like, you're short like I'm short. And Wolverine's like, not that short. You're short, bub. <laughs> 
Puck invites Wolverine out for coffee. Oh. And Wolverine's like, yeah. Heck yeah. I wouldn't take Wolverine for the beer drinking type. And I'm sorry, coffee drinking type. <laughs> if by coffee you mean beer. I'm all in. Um, Puck and Wolverine convince Heather to lead Alpha Flight. And that's the major revelation. Something's going on with Aurora. She's trying to uh, get rid of her other personality. In uh, New Defenders number 138, the team returns to uh, Warren's house slash base and find that Candy Southern has spent a lot of money to beef up security. Um, Bobby is still upset about how his teammate Cloud is shifting between a boy and a girl, um, which is interesting. Yeah. He, he calls himself uh, a hypocrite because whenever she turns into a boy, he's like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. This is weird. Perhaps perhaps you could interpret this as some sort of a secret attraction if you were following current X-Men. Okay. But that would be stretching it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like uh, it. The new defenders ask Candy to be the new team leader, and she accepts. Candy and, Southern? Uh, yeah, Candy Southern, leader of the new defenders. That's really weird. She's, like the, she, I don't, she's not like, you know, on any missions or anything, but she's like the, the manager Oh, okay. So she's she's the boss. Because I could see her being like maybe like the financial manager, and yeah, she tells him what to do, and PR manager. Yeah, she's all that stuff. Okay, all of it. All right. Um, Moon Dragon gets attacked, and I don't know who attacks her. Some woman that I'm not familiar with, but I suppose that'll be resolved in the next issue. Uh, I read uh, I read Dazzler the movie. Holy moly! I read Dazzler the movie too. This is Marvel Graphic Novel 12. And uh, I have one question for you, Jeremy. What is the target audience for this? <laughs> I have no idea. It's, uh, it's, it's not boys who like superheroes. Uh, it's, and it's, it's not girls who like tales of empowered women. It's <laughs> certainly not. <laughs> um, I have no idea. I can't imagine that this thing sold well. It, exactly. It was, it was like, why? Like, I feel like Dazzler has only got a few more issues of life left in it. What issue are we on? Like, in uh, we're on thirty. We just did thirty-four. So, doesn't oh. it end in the forties, early forties? I think it's forty-two that it ends. So we're okay. We're so home stretch, everybody. So it can't be doing too well if it's only if it's going to get. It just went from being bi-monthly to being every once in a while. <laughs> I think there was a three-month period between issues. Okay. Um, so clearly nobody's paying attention. So, like, at what point did Heem Shooter think, you know what we should do? Dazzler graphic novel. That's a great idea. I don't know. It's either that or they're like, hey, everybody, you know those graphic novels we've been doing? They've been selling like hotcakes. Let's get Dazzler going on the next one. And, and this, uh, this, this, as a graphic novel, this doesn't really... Put Dazzler at a different place than when she started. It does not pack the punch that the X-Men graphic novel or New Mutants graphic novel packs. It has very little relevance in the Marvel Universe. I think it targets like soap opera watching moms, right? Which I'm okay, I'm okay with that, I, except that the superhero stuff that it doesn't... Like the whole, there, there's an angle of mutant fearing that just seems shoehorned into this thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's an anomaly. It, it is an anomaly. And it, it is almost, uh, worth 
reading. I'm not going to say it's good, but just for the anomaly or anomalous. It's not good, but it. it's not bad either. It's it's just it's it's interesting. It is interesting. I really like the art. The art reminded me of like a, a 1940s comic book. Yep, art's good. Everybody had kind of everybody was like uh like a like a cover model or something. Everybody yeah. it was very lips and eyes are heavily accentuated. Yeah. Uh, I know what you're talking about. Kind of that 50s style of I don't know, pop art or whatever. Um, I don't know. The other weird thing about this is uh, in preparation for this uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've, I've just been like flipping through it and like looking at the panels and like picking out like panels that grab my attention and reading it and when you when i did it that way i was like oh my god poor dazzler like <laughs> she really really gets the shaft in this but then when you read it actually word for word you're like well she gets the shaft but she also seems to be kind of along for the ride which is super weird uh, so she gets involved with film star slash i guess he's a film star i wasn't really sure what his right, deal was let me let me roman nicoba or nicobo i'm not sure how to pronounce the name he's I, yeah okay he's been a common character uh, in dazzler for the last seven six or seven issues or what have you and he's he's a washed out movie star who's got money problems uh, and he he there's a there's a sequence in the comics which this thing takes uh amps or or takes on where he's basically like an older balding overweight man who every afternoon wakes up in his mansion puts on his uh his his stomach his what do you call his uh what do you call that thing thing that uh, is yeah waistband <laughs> yeah what uh his corset uh, and uh, his his toupee and puts on his makeup and everything and, and makes himself up to look like kind of an older movie star. But his whole thing in the first half of the comic book is to wear down Dazzler to the point where she falls for him. Right. And it, it is just, it's uh, so cliché. And I think if you were to write this story in this day and age, it would be taken out in the street and burned. Oh, yeah. You couldn't write this story today. Because it's terrible because he's just like, hey, baby, I want to make love. So so melt in my arms or at least stop squirming. <laughs> and she's, you know, and she says multiple, like, get out of my apartment. Get out. And she says it so many times. And finally, he's like, you're finished in this business. And she's like, oh, man, oh, that really sucks. And then, but then the next day he shows up and he's like, "Hey, baby, we're gonna be in a movie together." And she's like, "Gah, would you leave me alone?" And so eventually she uses uh, he's like chasing her down and stuff in his car, and she's trying to get away. She ducks behind an alleyway and then shoots his tires out with her powers, which is the first use of her power. Well, no, there's another use of her powers when she's standing in a mirror naked, admiring herself, which is <laughs> there's a, there's the theme of mirrors in this. Yes. And- it, it uh, you know, uh, Himshuter is the least thematic. Yeah. So uh, she, he, you know, I don't know. It's it's bad. But she end, pops his tires with her powers. He goes, uh, he crashes, but it doesn't matter. He gets out and he chases after. He's like, you can't get away from me. I'm, I'm so handsome. <laughs> I want you uh, to collapse in my arms with your succulent breast heaving. That's a direct quote. And, and then he falls over and he feigns a heart attack. And she turns around. And she's like, oh, my God, like, I didn't mean for you to get a heart attack because, you know, Dazzle, she's a stand up girl. She cares about people and humans and such. So she runs over to check to make sure he's OK. I mean, she does know this man after all, even though he's kind of a pig. And so he he 
opens his eyes and he's like, ah, so you do care. And Dazzler's like, ah, you're, you're slimy. And she, he's like, well, let's go get some coffee. And, and she's like, okay. And so that begins their relationship. Right. So they start hanging out a lot and she starts to actually fall for this guy who, you know, it, it, it's admitted later that he is just basically a ladies man. And then he is essentially trying to get into her pants, which he does but as uh, yes, he does. I mean, I'm ahead of myself, but yeah, as uh, as the as the story progresses, we learn that he is actually starting to uh, have a heart when it comes to Dazzler as well, though. Oh, but that's that's way, way after she says that she loves him. Right. And it takes... So we, get, we get along their... Rela- we get a bunch of scenes of their relationship progressing and we get such classic lines as, ever make an angel in the sand? Nah, a few dozen bimbos maybe, but I'm game. Lie down. <laughs> yes. Because that'll get the girls. <laughs> this is And this is after like she's kind of fallen for him that he's... Yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> I've had sex with a lot of ladies in the sand, but now I'm going to have sex with you. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually uh, he, he says he he writes or while he's trying to court her, he leaks out to the papers that he is going to star in a movie with this unknown singer named Dazzler. And so she reads it. She's like, I'm not going to be in a movie with you. Well, once she falls for him, she's like, okay, I'll be in this movie with you. And so the next part of the comic is spent him trying to find backers for the movie. And he can't. Like anybody he calls is like, nah, you're washed up. We don't know this girl. Uh, So he just can't find the financial backing. Plus some people comment about how she's been hanging out with the X-Men. Yep. Oh, as a matter of fact, there's a What's really all about? there's a really terrible scene early on where she gets a call from Storm, and Storm is like a teenage teeny bopper laying on her belly on the couch, just like, "Hey, girl, just called to check in on you. You know, <laughs> mutant hysteria, and you use your powers and you shouldn't." Wolverine says hi. He's right in the background. He's totally not in Japan. Well, I'm assuming this <laughs> took place chronologically, probably a few months ago. Sure, sure. But anyways. Yeah, that the that whoever Frank Springer or Jim Shooter, whoever's writing the X Men, do not know the X Men. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, we we know that Jim Shooter doesn't know the X Men from Secret Wars. So eventually, Roman finds backing uh, for his movie, um, and 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 it's some rich guy that uh, in the very opening aerobics sequence, um, I guess Dazzler scorned. He wanted to have sex with her, and. Yes. She said, I Which can't. I believe is a direct line later in the movie. It, it, Originally, I just wanted to have sex with you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he ended up buying or she said like, oh, I can't date people from the gym. And she and he's like 15 minutes later, somebody comes back and says, here's the guy you just turned down. He just bought the gym. Now, will you go out with him? And she's like, I quit or whatever. Anyhow, um, they they get the backing uh allison admits to roman that she's a mutant uh, roman don't care he still wants some of that so in they fact, have... he thinks that uh they should publicize that and so they do well and that's when yeah we'll get to the the actual plot later well but i just wanted to they that's when they make love is after she she, she admits that she's a, a mutant Oh, right, right. He just says, I want to make love to you. And she says, still? (laughs) Yeah. I love you. And then we zoom in on the door. 
Also, while this is all happening, uh, Roman is kind of giving her the grand treatment, moving her out of her dumpy apartment, giving her a lavish house, having her buy jewels at Tiffany's and dresses at high-end places so that she can really look like a starlet as she enters into this movie career. My Uh, favorite part of this is when she is at his mansion. She's changed her hairstyle. She's smoking a cigarette. And she looks in the mirror and she's like, what have I become? Yeah. I, li- I liked that. It was only, it's only like for two pages, but I really like that. And then she strips down to nakedness in front of the mirror and re- recaptures her former glory, I suppose, which is weird. But I like the part before it where she's got the cigarette in her hand and she's like, I don't smoke. Yeah. yeah and she's also drinking. She's talking to the maid. She's like, get me some more of this. Uh, um, and then, But then she's also looking at herself. She's like, I'm so fat. I, I didn't <laughs> used to be fat there. What have I become? She turns on her music. She absorbs the light, or absorbs the sound. She casts her light. She's naked looking in the mirror. Uh, I guess this is something that Dazzler likes to do is strip down naked and glow. But I in mean, the, I guess in, if in I the could graphic do, novel, yeah. If she, I she, look, if I could glow, I guess maybe I'd strip down and, and look at myself <laughs> naked in the mirror, glowing. Okay, maybe not. Roman bursts into the door, and and uh, Dazzler's all naked, and she's like, "Roman, what are you doing here? I'm not dressed." So what else is new, baby? <laughs> anyway, I'm glad you're not taking it too hard. And, uh, and that's when it's revealed that he exposed the fact that she's a mutant. To the papers for publicity. So uh, he forced her himself upon her, faking this heart attack, basically uh, wore her down, as I like to put it. Then at some point uh, published a news article saying that they were going to be in a movie together and behind her back and now has published this article about her being a mutant behind her back, which I mean... The first two are kind of like sleazy and slimy, but this this last one's like like a super big invasion of privacy. <laughs> well, at this point, she's already said that she loves him, hasn't she? I think she has. She, I don't know. She has, but that doesn't matter. Like, this well, I know, but you know, she they, they I, I feel like a lot of time took place, so they really know each other well. Yeah, but at this point, just because you say I love you doesn't give your your partner or the person that you love the the permission to go reveal. Perhaps. Oh, no, I, I agree with you. This is, this is a major violation of privacy and of trust and all sorts of stuff. But and she takes it in stride. She's like, why? And uh, he's like, well, because publicity in the movie and it's going to be great. And she's like, well, guess if you say so, she lights up another cigarette. And then, and then he's like, and then on top of that, he's like, y- y- we're going to have to get some sleep because you have a press conference tomorrow uh, to demonstrate your powers to the press. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let me, not only am I going to expose your secrets, but without asking your permission or checking with what you're doing tomorrow, uh, you're going to have to go out on a stage and show everybody your powers. And so not only that, so they, they finally arrive at this stage to, to display her powers. And the way that they're going to do that is they helicopter in descend onto the stage, and then Roman has her stripped down to a bikini. And she's standing in front of, like, thousands of people. I mean, this is where I'm flipping through going, like, oh, my God, this poor woman. Power's exposed without her permission. She's being paraded around like a thing. Uh, and she doesn't, this drawing here of her in a bikini, she doesn't look happy. Yeah. I don't know. So this is where I'm like, I feel really uncomfortable about this whole thing. But anyway, so he tells a joke. Everybody laughs like, I'm going to have some ladies come up here and search her for gizmos and gadgets, but I can't trust any of you boys. And everybody's laughing. And so he has uh, all these jet engines uh, uh, spin up their engines to get as loud as possible. And, she, and then Dazzler absorbs all the sound. 
uh, and then converts it into sound. But apparently Roman uh, takes it too far, has the jets crank the engine so fast, or so loud rather, uh, that Dazzler realizes that everybody in the audience is in pain due to the noise. So she has to do something about it. So she absorbs as much of this uh, as she possibly can. And she like starts super glowing to the point where apparently from the moon, you can actually see the glow on Earth of Dazzler. Right. And her nipples. <laughs> Just want to point that out. There's a nipples. Anyway. Uh, and so I guess it, uh, Roman even contacted, uh, um, comments like, I can't hear anything. What happened? And I think it's because Dazzler's absorbing all the noise so much so that Roman can't hear it. Right. Uh, nobody in the audience can hear it. So there's no noise whatsoever because Dazzler has absorbed it all. They cut all the engines and Dazzler's like, wow, my God, that's never happened before. Something changed. Something's different. I don't understand what it is. And then she's, she's got tears streaking down her face and she's thinking to herself, are you happy now, Roman? <laughs> this is when mutant hysteria takes over and it gets... It was silly before, but now this this part of it kind of annoyed me. The mutant hysteria in this uh, comic is just so over the top and not very in line with everything that's come before with it. It's all very one-sided and ridiculous. It, it annoyed me. Right. So everybody freaks out at what they've just seen. They're all running. Uh, it turns out that the guy that uh, bought the aerobics gym earlier and wanted to have sex with Dazzler, he is actually the backer of the movie. But Roman uh, has told Dazzler anyway that he has him in check. But we get the idea in this panel that maybe he doesn't because he looks over at Roman and is like, "Good work. I'll be in touch." And oh yeah, we've gotten we we know that he doesn't because there was that there there have been a couple situations where he's. Uh, Roman has been at his beck and call, but he's been lying to uh, Alice and Dazzler about it. So there's some more mutant hysteria that happens. And eventually, uh, you know, Dazzler, uh, well, she she kind of turns around and she's like, I'm going to use this to my advantage. Like she's put this into she's been put in this position, in my opinion, unfairly. But she turns it around. She's like, we're going to make this movie. We're going to take that that slimy guy's money, but we're going to make a movie that displays the capabilities of mutants. I'm going to play that role. The script has got to be right. We're going to show how we can save humans and how we can use our powers for good things. Uh, and, and there can't be anything stupid in the movie. It's, it's going to be powerful. That's the movie that we're going to make. So she takes, yeah, it, it's, it's, we also learned that uh, she now has the ability to absorb uh she learns that she can absorb certain amounts of uh, music, so she doesn't necessarily or, or sound. So she doesn't necessarily need sound to be playing right. anymore. She she has reserves. This is this is now more in line with the Dazzler. Well, I know and love is that she always has kind of a, a little reserve of power, but you know, more sound is better. So this is where that comes. It's all all from the plane sequence. Yeah. Which so whatever, I mean, so I it's it's kind of an empowering moment for her, and she says, "Look, I'm I'm taking charge." I don't know if I necessarily buy this because remember she absorbed Claw at one point. Yeah. I mean that dude was generating a crap ton of noise, so much so that it got the attention of Gal uh, Galactus, right? Yeah. Jim Shooter didn't read that, <laughs> and this is just a bunch of airplanes, but. Well, clearly and, he anyways. did read that because Claude made an appearance in Secret Wars. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's 
works for the plot, I guess. So Dazzler, so she's gone off about this movie, and now she's taking control. She's like, get over here, you handsome little man. She takes him. Well, it's it's been made clear that she's been doing this whole thing kind of for Roman, because she loves him. And she wants, she doesn't really care so much about this movie being made up to this point. She's just trying to help Roman out and help him get his career back. But, so she's doing all this stuff for him. But she definitely wants this movie to... to to help him, you're right, but also she wants it to, to show. And yeah, the now this is the, this the, is the turning point where right. she's decided to take control, and she's she's going to make a movie that helps uh, the common masses understand and respect and tolerate mutants. And then they it's a good goal. They do it in the back of the limo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure they have many many times before. She says, and if you fail to please me, I'm going to use my nasty little mutant powers to incinerate all your best toupees. <laughs> funny weird so she hits the gym she's she's really worried about the flab she's working on herself she's not smoking she's not drinking she's working out roman meanwhile is drinking like a fish he's playing golf poolside and he he's almost seemed to kind of give up yeah he's he's slowly becoming like an alcoholic to the point where every panel he's pouring himself a drink and drinking they head out to the set on location, and it basically seems like Dazzler is writing and directing whatever's happening here. <laughs> All we see of the movie is that there are a couple of special effects action sequences that um, are probably really great. Yeah, but, yeah, but uh, they, keep, they keep mentioning that there's an amazing love sequence. Oh, right. That's what Roman's going to perform in, but yeah, uh, and she's she can't wait for it either. She's like, uh, yeah, the love scene. I can't wait, Roman. <laughs> so I don't know. It's just weird. Anyways, so she's she's out there. She's in her costume, like this. I don't know what kind of costume it is, but her her movie costume. And she's like, okay, everybody, this is it. Ready? Cue the car. She calls action because there is no director for this movie. Uh, and then she delivers her lines and she does some of her Dazzler stuff. So that's going to kind of fill in for some of the special effects and explosion and, and all that sort of stuff. And there's a commentary on a news channel saying mutants are bad and this channel doesn't like mutants. So suck it, mutants. And so we, we see some more movie scenes. Dazzler does an impressive effect and uh, the camera crew's like, just keep rolling this. This is amazing. I can't wait to see what this looks like. And... Uh, so weeks later at Nekobo, Nekobo Mansion, we get uh, Dazzler and Roman are in bed and she says, who gave you the instruction manual to my body, Roman? How can you be so wonderful even when your mind is obviously a million miles away? So even when he's not paying attention, he is an amazing lovemaker. Right. And this, I really feel like this is a young man's interpretation of what an empowered woman sounds like. <laughs> But it's it's just terrible. It's it's really terrible. <laughs> I don't know of any woman that would put up with a man, no matter how good he is, whose mind is a million miles away. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, get out of my bed. We're done. <laughs> this is over. And, uh, you know, he's he's so, all he's in so, bed, though. I mean, he must be an amazing lover because he's in bed. He's got he's got man boobs, a big belly, and a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. <laughs> oh, just delicious. Right. And she's like, oh, touch me more. <laughs> so, like, things are slowly falling apart for Roman, and uh, he's he's getting more and more worried about everything. They do a screening of the movie, and uh, they both say it's 
it's amazing. It's it's really going to accomplish all those goals that she set out. And the movie theater or the screening room gets invaded by anti-mutant hysterics who nearly kill Dazzler, but she's able to get out of that. We, we, um, we failed in a sequence that I don't really care about. <laughs> we failed to mention one other change, very significant. Dazzler cut her hair. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's super important. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. So the theater gets, there's a chase scene, who cares? Anti-mutant hysteria. Dazzler uses her powers to kind of push away the bad guys. Um, eventually, it's revealed that the guy that wanted to buy Eric's, his name is Eric Beale. He wanted to buy the aerobics gym, or he did buy the aerobics gym. He's been the backer of the film, but he had Roman sign a contract uh, that's basically, you know, he's going to get Roman back up. He can never see Dazzler again. And Dazzler also needs to sign a contract and work for him exclusively. And she's not going to get paid very well, but it'll be enough. Uh, and if she does all that, she'll be a movie star She'll get this movie out, but she's going to have to give up some of her morals uh, and, and probably be put in some positions in movies that would be less than, well, uh, I don't know. Basically, he wants to own uh, Roman and Allison. He says so, he, he says that he owns Roman, and yes, his, his next goal is, I wanted to have sex with you before, but now I just want to own you or something like that. Now it's strictly business. <laughs> yeah, so he just, you're going to do what I say. Just sign this paper and you'll be my... Slave. I don't really think that's how it works in sh in Hollywood, but he does have the last copy of the film, which he says that uh, even if they did release it, it it probably would make her an instant star, and that it probably would succeed in uh, giving mutants a fair shake. I've seen it. It's good. Very good. And so she takes the contract. She puts pen to paper, gives it to Eric, and he's like, "I'm glad you made the right decision." But it turns out that she wrote, go suck an egg on the contract. And then he, she punches him across the face. And she uses her own Dazzler power to incinerate the last known copy of the Dazzler movie. And he's like, no! So I think we get the idea that maybe he was bluffing. But he's definitely not happy that uh, the movie has been incinerated. And, uh, yeah, so she walks out and Roman drives up and he's like, Hey, baby, I need to get that contract. I've done something I didn't want to do. She's like, Because at this point it is revealed that Roman has, uh, as I mentioned before, fallen for Dazzler. He's changed his ways, Jeremy. Yeah. He's a stand-up guy now. Yeah. He used to be all about bimbos and broads, but now he has a heart. And uh, Dazzle's like, don't worry about it. I uh, incinerated the contract with my Dazzle powers. You're a free man. Don't worry about it. Uh, and uh, then, you know, they, they they kiss a little bit. But then she's like, look, you got to rebuild your career and I got to go find myself. Uh, we got to... We gotta part ways for a little while. Yeah, but uh, you know, we'll probably, we'll probably see you soon, maybe. And she's like, "I, uh, you go your way, I'll go mine." It's a, it's a good ending. It's, I mean, this is like probably the most feministic part of the story that you know is actually kind of decent. She she leaves the man at the end, and she's better off for it. Uh, the the it's running not a traditional Hollywood ending for sure. The running song through this, the one that she sang earlier and is saying throughout the comic is i'm still standing i'm still standing better than i ever did yeah so that's her kind of her uh, mantra i guess as when the chips are down dazzler's still standing 
So, yeah, you know, I guess uh, apologies to our audience members. We, we only meant that to go maybe two or three minutes. But it's such a such a bizarre story that you got to talk through all of it because <laughs> it's just so weird. And I guess it's totally 80s. You couldn't you couldn't I don't even think you could write that story in the 90s, to be honest. Yeah, no, it, it probably would have been far more sexist than the 90s, actually. Well, that's that's really like sexist, though. And it really paints women in this really like uh submissive like can't make decisions for themselves and i know that they try to swing it around so that dazzler uh, ultimately is like the powerful headstrong woman but even some of the lines that they wrote for her in that you're still like yeah uh, it, it kind of it, it kind of fluctuates between being a powerful statement for women mm. But never really does because it, it's it, it kind of ha- it seems like it has loftier goals or ambitions than it actually achieves uh, because I think ultimately whoever Jim Shooter Jim <laughs> Heem Shooter or whoever uh, ultimately I don't think Jim Shooter wrote it I think he just had his name on it I think it was Frank Springer that wrote it yeah, maybe but and not not a knock against Frank Springer I'm sure he was told to knock this sixty page graphic novel out and he's like about Dazzler. And they're like, yeah. And he's like, oh my, really? I don't know. Based on Secret Wars, this felt like Jim Shooter to me. Oh, maybe he was the like the plotter or something. I don't know, Adam. You you might be right. I it I don't know. It's it I, I it's not good, but it's certainly interesting. I yeah, like I said, it's not good. And it's not bad. It's just it is unique. <laughs> How about uh, how about we talk about New Mutants number uh, twenty three? Did you read this one? I did, but you can just you know you can grab uh, this one. Yeah, so Roberto's father and Celine are inducted to the Hellfire Club's inner circle. Celine is the new Black Queen, and uh, she boasts that essentially she's going after Sebastian Shaw's job uh, as the, the head of the Hellfire Club. He doesn't trust her. I mean, you know, uh, I read this because I'm 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 a I'm a, uh, a new newly discovered fan of uh Bill Sienkiewicz's. Right? Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean this these You've are just, only got a few more issues then. These are a pleasure to read. <laughs> Anyhow, um Colossus and Roberto uh are they fight at a bar near the school. Uh Roberto displays some new shadow-based powers that are eerily familiar. In one oh. of these panels, he kind of looks like a, a warlock head. Yeah. Or, or is the, yeah, I don't know. Is it warlock? Uh, no, it's not. But yeah, I, I, I see which panel you're, I think that's just a kind of a Sinkevich thing. Okay. Because he, he, he did that in the, uh, the, the bear trilogy oh, thing too. Okay. There was a couple of those things before warlock even showed up. He just likes those kind of crazy whack job eyes. Okay. We get uh, some more of Lee Forrester and Magneto. Um, she delivers him off at his island fortress. Remember the old island fortress? I sure do. X-Men number 150, uh, or also where Ileana was, uh, you know, captured by Belasco. Yeah. Yeah. And so in, Magneto in, is back. In the cracks here, it spells Cockrum. Oh, interesting. I didn't notice that until just now. So some sort of homage. Yeah, definitely. That's cool. Yeah. Totally. And uh, it's, I mean, I don't know what we knew about this little base from X-Men number 150, but apparently uh, Magneto found this base. It was built by somebody else. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what we know about it. Just that there are strange, strange things happen at Magneto's Island Fortress. Right. But if you thought Magneto built it, you're wrong. 
he didn't. So we we get a little more of Lee Forrester and Magneto's relationship there. She she apparently is the rest of the she left the rest of the rest of the crew behind because it's just the two of them. He, she's trying to help Magneto, and anytime he uses his powers, he's like doubling over. So he's having some issues adjusting to his fall from space. I mean, that, right. that's a hell of a fall. Uh, that is one heck of a fall for sure. But uh, he's kind of a jerk. He he like whips her back probably with some magneto power. It doesn't look like he like physically hits her, but she falls backwards. Uh, but she takes it. She's like, uh, it, it, you know, I don't know. I feel like anybody today would be like, oh, well, if that's how you're going to be, I'm out of here. <laughs> but she's like, oh, you, you do need my help. If it wasn't for me, a human, you'd be shark meat. <laughs> so I'll ignore the fact that you just pushed me away with your magneto powers. Well, he also kind of uh, falls over and she supports him. So he's he's weak and he's kind of reacting in a moment of weakness. And she sees that. But I kind of like how they're, well, I do and I don't. Like as an X-Men reader, I don't like that they're bouncing back and forth between X-Men and New Mutants to tell this story, this little story. But, yeah, I, I feel like maybe a lot of people were reading both at this point, And so Chris Carmine just felt like he could do this. But So back then I was not. So it was kind of obnoxious because you're like getting little bits and pieces of the story in X-Men. But, you know, but, go, go. But there's nothing like so like like by not reading these issues, you don't feel like you're missing anything. No, not really. Like you can you can put the pieces together. I mean, yeah. So we missed we missed this sequence. We missed the uh, asteroid M getting destroyed. Right. Well, but I mean, if you're just reading New Mutants, you know that. Uh, asteroid hit asteroid M, and then you knew that Lee Forrester was at this base. If you're just reading New Mutants, you probably don't care about any of this stuff. <laughs> True. Anyhow. Who are these people? <laughs> yeah. Um. So uh, back at uh, back at the mansion, Xavier's mansion, the professor and Moira McTaggart are studying. The unconscious bodies uh, after their fight of Roberto and Colossus. Well, uh, Danny and Sam are tracking down clues to Rain and Roberto's uh, strange changes in behavior. Uh, they find Rain at a hotel room uh, and with weird memories of some other uh, a woman who looks who is Rain, but looks kind of like Jean Grey in a strange way. Mm-hmm. No connection to Jean Grey, though. Yeah, I was, um, I was wondering if this was a Jean Grey Firestar or just like what Rain wishes she could be. Yeah, I think it's I think it's what Rain could be. Right. Okay. Uh, I don't think it's what she wishes she could be, but I think it's like her her potential. Um, they discover that Cloak and Dagger are depowered, and that their uh, Roberto and Rain have absorbed their former powers. And uh, that's when Roberto pr- attacks the Professor and Moira with Cloak's enveloping Cloak powers. And that's where we leave off. Yeah, I never knew that Dagger's or Cloak's name was Tyrone, and that he he had a stutter. I didn't either, but never really read Cloak and Dagger either. That could be why. Uh, yeah, so uh, good stuff. And finally, finally, I read uh, ROM number 61. Thank which, um, God somebody did. <laughs> which continues the Dire Wraith story. All of the Dire Wraiths on Earth get together to drive a spike through the sun. Holy crap. <laughs> which they do. And um, that the spike is somehow pulls the Dire Wraith homeworld, which is called Wraith World, towards the Earth. And their plan is to merge the Earth and Wraith world, and then they will dominate the Earth in this way. Um, so this is happening. And meanwhile, Henry, Peter, Jairish, and Rom, and the rest of the military are trying to figure out what to do with it. And uh, Jairish 
reveals that the key may lie with a gentleman named Forge, um, who has developed, well, he says, for reasons I'm not at liberty to divulge, the scientist I'm talking about refuses to turn his invention over to mankind. What a and jerk. We get, a, we get a shot of Forge in his, uh, in Eagle Plaza walking down holographic stairs. And uh, he's, he's the only human who was able to develop a neutralizer much like Rom's own. And uh, Forge is just walking around with the neutralizer gun that he's developed. I don't know why he's holding it, but he is. Huh. So next month, Rom meets Forge. Sounds exciting. Oh, yeah. Well, good. Good indeed. We're out. We are. We're done. The long one. Uh, <laughs> well, then, until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name's Bamarius T. Dude. And the danger room is closed. If you guys are really us, what number are we thinking of? 69 dudes that's right it was called dudes (laughs) the movie was gonna be called dudes yeah